continuing our study here through 1 Peter. One of the things I like about Wednesdays is uh, Wednesdays get to be more of a little bit of a Bible study feel, where Sundays a lot of times is just the uh, straight preaching slash teaching. I like Wednesdays. I like having a sheet. I like having this out here. It gives us a nice little order of flow where we're going through. And when I was preparing the lesson here, and we're going to do verses 13 through 21 tonight of 1 Peter 1, Lord willing, time willing, we're going to, it just was so, I guess for lack of a better word, logical. It just flowed. And that's what I loved about this. It's just, he gives you the goal. This is what the goal is. And then you get to see how you get to that goal. And I was just reading in my devotional this morning about how goals are something that God gives us. And they use the passage where it says, I strive towards the goal of Christ. And about how as Christians, the goal for every single one of us should be more like Jesus in all that we do and all say. Raising our kids in Christ, having a marriage in Christ, just being a witness in Christ, that's the goal. I thought, boy, I love it. I love it when things are simple because I'm not that smart to figure those things out. So what's the goal tonight? Well, the goal tonight is found in verses 14 and 15. Obedience and holiness. Now, we're going to jump back to verse 13, because that's where we finished up last week. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And you remember correctly from last week, that phrase of gird up your loins is we would say roll up your sleeves. Back during biblical times, they wore uh, the robes down to their legs, and when they got ready to work, they would lift those things up, they would tuck them into their belts, and they were ready to work. Well, we say roll up your sleeves. So let's get to work here for Christ. Well, what do we do? Verse 14. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Now, right there's the goal. Obedience and holiness. Now, I'm going to give you away the answer. The result is found in verse 19 by the precious blood of Christ Jesus. So we know the goal is obedience and holiness, and we know the result is by the precious blood of Christ Jesus. So what we do now for the next 20 minutes is we fill in the details between those two things. I never like the lesson where the pastor says at the beginning, I'm going to tell you at the end the answer. You know what? Here's the answer. It's Jesus. So if you want to leave now, that's perfectly fine. You can go home and still catch uh, Jeopardy or something like that. But the point is, the goal is this obedience and holiness. Now the problem is, that's too simple. That's too simple to have obedience and holiness. So when we were studying this, we really have to work at what these words mean. If we want to be obedient children, verse 14, if we want to be holy, verses 15 and 16, what's it mean? Obedience obviously means following commands. I would say the majority of us here tonight are obedient Christians. We are. I doubt many of you robbed a bank today, so you're not worrying about being a thief. I hope no one's killing people, so we don't have to worry about murder. You know, those type of things. We're obedient. But that word obedient also has another definition, which also means submission. See, here's the thing. I can be obedient on the outside, but not give the Lord my heart. I'm not really submitting myself. One of the phrases or rules that we have at the Irvin household is we say happy hearts. Is we don't want you just to obey. We want you to obey with happy hearts. Now, my kids struggle with that. I don't know what it is, and Dawn and I were just talking about this the other day, because neither one of us are the type of people when we get upset, we do the big arm cross. We just don't do that. Layden, uh, Kenan number three, he did the big arm cross, and we fought him on that for a long time. And now Layden number four does the big arm cross. So our big thing at home is we say, Layden, you need to take this, you need to go throw that away. First thing he does is cross his arms, put his heads down, and he walks out of the room. So we always say, Layden, arms down. So what he does is he does this big dramatic that. Now, he is obedient, but he's a little sinner. He's obedient, but he's a sinner. So obedience is also submission, happy heart. Just don't do what we say, but we also want to train them to obey in a submissive, happy heart because they're, by serving their parents, they're actually serving the Lord. 
Well, the same thing happens here as Christians. And let's just be honest. Sometimes I obey God. I'm obedient. My heart's not submissive. My heart's still angry. It's upset. Fine, Lord, you want me to love him? I'll love him. Okay, outside everybody sees it. Outside it sure looks good, and I'm serving the Lord. I'm being obedient. Lord, you told me to love that person. I am loving that person. But in my heart, boy, I hope I don't have to talk to him today. In my heart, I hope they're not here. Of course, the classic example we use all the time where you go up to somebody and say, hey, if you ever need a hand, let me know. In your heart, you're saying, please don't call me. Don't ever call me. We're obedient by saying it, but yet the Lord says, are you really submitting your heart to me? So it's not just simply, yeah, I'm obedient. Really, really take a look into your heart. Am I really submitting myself unto the Lord and saying, I'm willing to do it because in my heart, I want to serve that person. I want to serve the Lord. I really want to do what's right. That's a big thing to chew on. The next phrase, holiness, holiness just really means moral purity. And once again, I would think the majority of us here have an element of holiness in us. Now, a lot of times we think of holiness, we think of this absolute, utter perfection. That's really not what the Bible uses that term holiness for. The Bible calls us holy. So we have a moral purity in us. You know, if you have a complete blackness over here, the idea is we're supposed to be white over here, the idea of moral purity. Well, a lot of us have that. But once again, the deeper meaning of the word holiness actually means set apart. God says, I just don't want you to be better than the world. He goes, I'm actually pulling you out of that filth of the world to be a light and a witness in all we do and say. Here's what we do a lot of times as Christians. I don't cuss as much as him. I don't snap as much at my wife as he does. I don't watch as bad stuff as he does. I don't drink as much as him. And so we look at holiness and we say, I'm better than them. God says, I want you completely set apart. I don't want you to be tainted by the world. So our goal tonight is obedience and holiness. Not just obeying, but really submitting our hearts. And not just being better than the world and purity, but truly set apart to the Lord. Because God set the example. Did you look at this in verse 16? Be holy, for I am holy. God says, I set the example and I want you to follow it. This is one of the neat things about God. Generally speaking, and I can't think of an example right now, and maybe there is, I can't think of a time in the Bible where God says, do this, but I wouldn't do that. I mean, God asked Abraham to sacrifice his son. Well, God the Father proved he would do it through Jesus. Jesus asked us to go to the low of the low and serve. Jesus washed the disciples' feet. God asks us to love the unlovable, and Jesus from the cross said, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. He set the example for us to follow. So if we ever sit here and whine and complain about, Lord, I don't want to do that, Chances are, if you look throughout the Bible, God already did it. He set the example. So those two verses right there, that Matthew 5:48, that's a very powerful verse. That verse says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now think about that for a second. That is your goal as a Christian. Perfection. That's your goal. Once you reach that goal of perfection, you can stop studying and praying and reading and doing whatever because you've reached it. The truth is we're not going to reach it. But that's the goal, it's perfection. Be holy as I am holy. I love this passage in Romans 13, verses 14. It says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. So the goal also is for me to be so Christ-like that you no longer see James, you see Jesus. Now here's the problem in my Christian life, and I don't know what it's like in your Christian life. Jesus makes a lot of appearances in my life. But boy, James pops up a lot too. You know, I can be Jesus, Jesus, Jesus most of the day. Then all of a sudden I had that proverbial straw that breaks the camel's back. I flip into James mode for a little bit. Oh, I put Jesus back on. I'm supposed to put Christ on in all that I do and all that I say. And so that's the example that God set for us. So be holy, for I am holy. When I first got saved, I would reach these little points sometimes in my Christian walk of what I would call now, looking back, prideful ignorance. I'd reach a point spiritually where it's like, you know what? 
finally got that one conquered. Boy, oh boy, I can't tell you how many times I have stumbled and struggled. And I've shared this story with you many times, so just bear with me as I repeat it one more time. I distinctly remember one time. I was, we were living at our old house. I was mowing the yard, and I was in the backyard mowing it. And I remember honestly thinking this and reaching this point of finally got that one kicked. I think that night I struggled with it. You know what I mean? You, you think you got it figured out. And now when I reach a point where I stop and I look every now and then, it's like, wow, I haven't struggled with that for a while. Instead of having that prideful ignorance, now I say, oh, Lord, by the grace of God, thank you. Thank you, Lord, because it's not me. There's nothing in me that can do that. When I first got saved, I thought it was Jesus and me taking on the world. The longer I walk with the Lord, it's just all Christ. And I tell you, it's very, very freeing, very freeing. And so I want that holiness. God set the example for us, and that's what I want. So the goal tonight, very simply put, is obedience and holiness. That's the goal. Not just obeying, but submitting, and not just being better than the world, but totally set apart. That's the goal for tonight, so the rest of the message tells us, how do we get to that point? Now, before we move on, does anybody have any quick questions, comments over those first couple points of what obedience and submission is? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You're talking about the word actually holiness or sanctified? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, right. That is, they're the same root word. It's a Greek word by the Greek word of hagios. So when you actually look at verses 15 and 16, in the Greek, it's the word hagios. Sanctified is off that root word. So it means the same thing. Sanctified is the process of becoming holy. Holy is the root word of it. Sanctified is off the root word of it. Does that make sense? I feel like we're back in English class, and I did not do well in English. But that's what it means right there. So holy is the root word. Hagios, sanctified, is off that root word there to make it better. Yeah. Yeah, verses 16 is the same holy of be holy and I am holy. It's the exact same word. Yep. So God is saying, I'm expecting out of you what I am. That's a big statement. Once again, and the answer, and this is why I give you the answer back in verse 19. Because if you're like me, I get to verse 16 and say, okay, loser, I can't. What am I supposed to do? There's no way. The answer is found in verse 19. I am washed with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That's the only way I can be holy as you are holy, Lord, is through Christ Jesus. So the goal is obedience and holiness, but the only way I can do it is through Jesus. So God basically says, be what I am, completely understanding that we can't do it. And that's the point we're going to get to here in a little bit. I don't want to say he set us up for failure. That's not the right word. He understood that we were going to fail. The example I, I use is this, and I'm getting ahead of myself here a little bit, because if you look down on the sheet in a couple points, it says we're not surprising God with our sin. You know, I'm ahead of the game, but why not go to it? Look at verse 20. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world. So God knew he was going to have to take care of the sin problem. God's not surprised by our sin. See, here's the thing that happens spiritually. I get surprised when I sin. Lord, I can't believe I did that. God says, yeah, I can. Lord, I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I thought that. I can't believe I handled it that way. I can't believe I responded. Lord, I'm sorry. God's like, I'm not surprised you sinned. Your flesh. You're sinful. Now, the problem is in Christianity that almost makes it sound like it's okay. I'm not saying it's okay, but God says it's going to happen because you still have flesh. I mean, as, as you know, we just had another baby. And so we brought the baby home. And you know what else we brought home with the baby? Diapers and wipes. You know why? That baby's going to make a mess. We know what's coming. And when that baby makes a mess, we don't sit there and say, my goodness, we expect more out of you. You're a baby. You act like a baby. That's what babies do. We know that. We've done this. We've been down this road before. Same thing spiritually. God says, James, your goal is perfection. Your goal is holiness. And I'm not bending on that. But he also says he foreordained before the beginning of the world in verse 20. You're not going to be able to do it. And that's why you need Jesus. So has God set us up to fail? I don't like that phrase. 
But God did set us up according to the Old Testament law. This is made abundantly clear in Romans, and it's made abundantly clear in Galatians. The purpose of the Old Testament law was to put a list of rules and regulations in front of you and for us to throw our hands up in the air and say, I can't do this. And God says that's the point. Because if you could live a holy life on your home, you wouldn't need Jesus today on the cross for our sins. So he says the standard is holiness. I expect holiness. But you know what? You're not going to be able to meet holiness. And that's where Jesus comes in. Which takes us to our next point on the sheet here. God gave us the standard because he is a righteous, he has righteous judgment. And that's the great passage there out of 2 Thessalonians 1.5. God is righteous. This is one of the key points of Christianity. If you want salvation, if you want eternity, if you want to abode with God forever, then you need to be perfect just like he's perfect. That's the standard. There's no bending of that standard. And so there's a righteous judgment that he requires. And so since he said that, we know the rules of the game now. Here's the thing that, that we run into, and, I, and I, I make jokes like this a lot, but you know, obviously our firstborn Elias, he is just legalistic to the core, and he just needs no rules. We got this new card game that we've been playing, and Elias is always telling me, okay, Dad, can you get online and get the rules? Can you check this? What's it like? That's Elias. Judah, rules apply to him three-fourths of the time. Kenan, when he plays, there are no such thing as rules. I mean, there's just no rules in any way whatsoever. So when Elias plays with me, we follow the rules to the T. Everything works out. If Elias tries to play with Judah, I guarantee you within five minutes I'm going to hear, Dad, Judah's not doing it right. I'll go in and I'll say, Judah, what are you doing? And, and Elias will say, well, Judah's supposed to take that card away. He lost that card. And I'll say, Judah, you're supposed to take that card away. You lost that card. Judah goes, well, I like that card. I, I don't want to lose that card. Judah, that's not how the game's played. Well, I, I just like that card. Can I keep that card? No, Judah, that's not the rules. Now, when you play with Kenan, like I said, he may take your cards. He, he just does whatever he wants. Point is, here's the game, if you will. The game is life. God told us the rules from the beginning. Holy, perfect. This is not a shock to us. It's not like we lived our life and all of a sudden we die at the end and now we stand before God and God says, okay, I demanded perfection for eternity. Did you do it? He has told us from the beginning you have to be perfect to taste heaven. You have to be holy to spend eternity with me. He has told us the rules of the game. He has set the standard. He is a righteous judge. Nobody gets a free pass. Not a single person. Now, once again, if we didn't know how this story ended with Jesus, we would be to this point by saying, this isn't fair. Look at verse 17. If you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish, without spot. Go back to verse 17. He's coming right out and says, I am going to judge you. This is not a shock. This is nothing. I am going to judge you. We set the standards and you follow the standards. You set the rules, you follow the rules. Dawn was, uh, when she went to the mom's group class out here, this last study they did, one of the points that she brought home, which was really good, is that you ask your kids to do something, or you ask anybody in life to do something. Unless you give them the standard of what you're expecting out of them, how are they supposed to know whether they reach those requirements? If I tell the boys I want your room clean, I tell them I'll be back in 20 minutes to check it. If you go to work tomorrow and the boss says, well, uh, here's your job today, I want you to just do this. Well, how do you want me to do it? I'm not telling you. Well, that's not really fair. Tell me the standards, tell me what is expected of me, that's why we do it. One of the first things you do if you go get a new job, what do you get? You get a job description that tells you this is what is asked of you, this is what is required of you, this is the bar that has been set for you. That way you know if you meet the expectations. Well, God comes right out and says the expectations are obedience and holiness, verses 14, 15, and 16. Verse 17, I'm going to judge you on whether you're obedient and holy. 
He comes right out and says it. I am the righteous judge. I am judging you on that. And he tells you right there in verse 18, if you think by your aimless conduct, received by tradition from your fathers, you think you're going to get in, you're fooling yourself. If you think you're going to get in because you're a Jew, you're fooling yourself. If you think you're going to get in because you're of the circumcision, you're fooling yourself. Thing for us today. You think you're going to get in because you were baptized, you're fooling yourself. Because you were confirmed, you're fooling yourself. Because you went through catechism, you're fooling yourself. You're going to get in because you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's the point. He, he's telling us straightforward what it is. Then it takes us to verse 20, which we've talked about. The reason he has to do this is because he knows we're going to sin. <laughs> he knows we can't meet that standard. He knows it. And so before the world began, he already had plan B in place. Plan A was we're supposed to be in the Garden of Eden in health and perfect happiness. So anytime someone comes up to me and says, how can a God of love allow this to happen in the world? One of the first things I tell them, this was not God's original plan. God's original plan was for you and I to still be in the Garden of Eden, enjoying life, not tasting death or sin or destruction. Because we screwed up plan A, God had to have a plan B. Plan B was right there in verse 20. Jesus foreordained before the foundation of the world that he was going to have to die for our sins. That's what it was. So verse 21, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory. So your faith and hope are in God. See right there, our faith and hope are in God. It's not in my works. I can't make myself holy. I can't be obedient. It's through Jesus and Jesus Christ alone, which takes us up to the key point of this is verse 19, the precious blood of Christ. Wow, that, that's what it's all about. That is absolutely what it's all about. God says, I demand obedience and holiness. I set the standard, and I will judge you according to that standard of obedience and holiness. I have told you that. Those are the rules. Then he also says, I know you can't follow those rules. So I'm going to give you plan B, which is Jesus. Now, as Paul says in Romans, we don't sin that grace may abound. I don't want anybody to walk out of this lesson tonight saying, well, if there's a backup plan. No, we still want to be like Christ. The goal is still to be holy as I am holy, to be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. But aren't we thankful that there is a plan B in Jesus? Oh, my goodness. Grace is a beautiful thing. Grace is a beautiful thing. Does anybody have any quick questions, comments about this here before we close up? Yeah, John. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. In, in, our, in our flesh, we cannot obtain holiness. And I think this is, to me, the reason why we had to go back and define what that word holiness really means. Because on face value... We're not being judgmental. Well, I'm holier than a good chunk of the world. Okay, well, that's true. But we're not holy to the standards of God's holiness. That's what we have to look at. Anybody else have anything here? Yeah, Ron. Well, a while back I asked for Yeah. And that, and I think, Ron, what you struggle with, every single one of us here could probably say amen to, is that idea of, you know, Lord, on the outside appearance, I'm looking good, I'm sounding good spiritually I'm good. On the inside, I know where my mind goes. I know where my mind wanders to. God help me. God forgive me. Because none of us here have reached that point of holiness and perfection. And you're right. And like I mentioned earlier in the message, I'll have moments of weeks or months where I feel like that that is dormant. Oh boy, but there's a weakness in me and sometimes that thing pops up. You know, that's the thing about, about the enemy. And I don't want to make it sound like I'm giving Satan too much credit because I do a pretty good job of sinning all on my own. But, you know, he is a student of human nature. And he's been watching human nature for 6,000 years. If you watch anything for 6,000 years, you're going to get pretty good at it. And the truth of the matter is, we always have this tendency to look at sin today. And we think, oh my goodness, look how morally downhill the world is going. We look on, we see the, the problems with pornography. We see the problems with drugs. Go read starting in Genesis. They had problems with pornography junk back in Genesis. Sodom and Gomorrah. Drugs were an issue. Every, I mean, sin has not changed in 6,000 years. We maybe just be more open about it, but sin's always been around for 6,000 years. So the point is, me as a human, 
I'm not much different than a human man from four or 5,000 years ago. The enemy knows how to bring us down. And so the thing is, sometimes I think that sin does lie dormant. Why does it lie dormant? I'm not giving us credit, but I think sometimes if we truly do follow what Ephesians says, we put on the armor of God. We're in the Word. We're in prayer. I mean, we're doing the things spiritually we're supposed to be doing. It's much harder to bring us down because spiritually we're strong. Sometimes, even before we know it, we spiritually become weak, and the enemy says, that's what I've been waiting for. That's what I've been waiting for. You know, Rich did that great uh, teaching about temptation a while ago, that one Wednesday I missed when we had the baby, and he talked about uh, David and Bathsheba. And the key point of the story of David and Bathsheba was the problem was David was lazy at the beginning. There was the opportune moment because David lowered his standards and he became spiritually lazy. It was much easier to hit him, much easier to hit him. And that's what happens to us spiritually sometimes. We lower our defenses and the enemy hits us. The next thing you know, I'm right back in the slop. So anybody have any final thoughts here before we go ahead and very close up? Yeah, Rose. Right. 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 And you mentioned a key point there about sometimes when our, our mind isn't on the Lord and our, we're not following is we're not living life to the fullest. I, I, one of the first verses I learned was uh, John 10.10, 10, that Christ said you may have joy and have it more abundantly. I see a lot of people that are saved, but they're not walking in joy because what happens is they're allowing these things to get into their life. I don't know how many times I tell people and I tell myself, you're thinking too much, man, let it go. You're thinking too much. You're analyzing too much. You just, you just got to let it go. And what happens is we become the proverbial dog chasing its tail in our mind, just rehashing and rethinking and re-wondering. Oh, my goodness, get our eyes on Christ. Yeah. Bingo. I always say you're so busy serving God, you forget why you're serving him. And, and you know, you, you look at your Christian walk and you say, well, I must be strong in the Lord because I just did four weeks back in the Sunday school. I just helped somebody move on Saturday, and I brought in that meal for that funeral on Wednesday. So obviously I'm doing good. Well, you are doing good. It's just spiritually How's that time with the Lord? That's a good point, the Mary Martha thing. Anybody else everything? Yeah, Howard. <laughs> yeah. That's, Howard, that's a very good point. So I'm teaching the boys uh, Texas Hold'em poker, hoping that they can... Uh, make a little money online so uh it's going good it's going good so anybody else have anything to say before we close up remember just look at the final thought here we're made holy through christ and redeemed by christ i mean that's that's really what it comes down to that, that's what i love about the lord he's not giving us a standard we that we can't meet and basically saying figure it out yourself the answer is found in christ i tell you this and you hear me say this all the time the longer i walk with the lord it's all about jesus that's what it all comes down to and all this other junk in life it really just doesn't matter we just serve the Lord and we love him. So, All right, let's pray and we'll let you guys go. Then, Heavenly Father, as we come to you, thank you for this wonderful time just to be here tonight, to grow and go deeper in you. And, Lord, I pray for myself personally and for us here corporately. Lord, we want to be obedient in our full heart. We want to be submissive to you in our full heart. And, Lord, we strive for holiness through you, through the strength of your spirit and all we do and say. We lift this up in your name. Amen. You guys have a good week and God bless.